0: Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Guys, I'm really into things that add more convenience to my life. It's even better when it also comes with safety in a high quality package. I'm talking about my Eufy Video Lock Do it online. It's a 3-in-1 smart lock, 2K camera with an audio and doorbell. It's easy to install. It has fingerprint recognition. So I don't even have to remember a code. I can control it all in an app, which again, the convenience is such a big plus for me. This Eufy Lock is fantastic, and I highly recommend it. Search Eufy Video Lock online. That's UFI, Eufy, E-U-F-Y, Video Lock, or visit eufyofficial.com backslash video lock to see how you can gain complete control of your front door. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday and thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome. Well, UFC 277 is almost here and guys, I'm excited. Coming up today, I'll give you my official predictions for Peña versus Nunes, Moreno versus Kai Carr France, and I'll also give you a preview of Ankalaev versus Anthony Smith. But before all that, I'm going to talk to you about one of the most highly anticipated fights of 2022 and I'm going to revisit Jamaya versus Nathan Diaz, plus more talk about Patty the Batty. Do you guys know how to understand the fight business, which is very rare? There, there's five humans alive that understand the fight business, and I'm bringing boxing in. I'm bringing kickboxing in. There's five people alive. You cannot go to a library and check out a book. There's no university in the world. You can go sign up for a course. Your top two ways to learn the fight business, okay? They are in this order. Go get a license, put up some money, start losing it, and pay for your education. That's number one. Number two is when you have Dana, ask him the question. It's as simple as that. There was an interview, and I gotta tell you, like this this one really does confuse me. It doesn't frustrate me because it leaves room for a guy like me to swoop in. I'm not competing with anybody. Everybody that that has a microphone or, or puts on a suit or brings in some level of light camera action wants to break down a fight or tell you what they would have done or tell you what they think's going to happen or give you a quote that somebody said or get an inside quote from a trainer or maybe they even ran into his mother in the lobby. That's it. Great. Plenty of folks to go out there and do that. You guys fight it out. How are you are going to stand above? How are you going to be de- that's on you? I'm just not in that business. I don't know. But when the UFC sells for $4.2 billion, which sent the sports world on its head, and none of you, collectively, zero of you, knew how it got to that evaluation, and moreover, seven years later, you still haven't figured it out. I don't mind it. It's your business. If you want to go out there and give quotes, and maybe that business, I don't know. I've never tried it. I don't know. But being the only guy in the room that understands the business that will come and talk to the audience is a great way to separate yourself. And Dana White was asked a question today. It had to do with Patty the Batty. What are you going to do with Patty the Batty? Now, Dana White has laid out his plan for a fighter, for a raising star, a grand total of never. The closest he ever got was to admit he was bringing up Conor McGregor slowly. We see something here. We're going to break this guy in. We're going to test him to the mark. He admitted that. He then repeated that a decade later with a guy named Chemayev. He openly admitted it. Hey guys, he's not ready for Kamar Usman. He's not ready for the overall number one fighter in the world. But he can get there. And he can get there in about four fights. And I have a plan for him. He didn't say what it was. Now wouldn't you know, nobody asked him. By the way, I mean, I got to say that in Dana's defense. He opens the door that there is a plan. It's only the second time he's ever revealed there's a plan. Possibly special treatment, right? I mean, it's a very interesting... What do you mean there's a plan for this guy? Nobody asked him, what is it? I mean, I I should let you know that. Because it comes up to the interview that I saw today where he's talking about Patty the Batty. And Dana said, yeah, you know what I think we should do with the kid? He said, I think we should bring him to Boston or New York. Then we should take him to Vegas should put him on pay-per-view. Everybody that was in the room, including the guy who predicated this entire dialogue, did not say why. Now, my guess is not incompetence. My guess is a level of nervousness. My other guess is that when Dana says, we're going to bring him to Boston, New York, then we're taking him to Vegas. We're going to try him out on pay-per-view. My guess is that they want to look as though they know what the hell that means. I will tell you, these guys collectively could not hold a candle to my understanding and knowledge of the business side of this. I have no idea what it means. I'm curious. I would like to know. Do you guys ever eavesdrop on a conversation that I'm having with Dana? It's the same thing, it's me asking a strong question, him turning his head sideways, pausing for a second, because what he wants to say is, it's none of your business. But in the 17 years I've been with him, he's answered every single one of those questions. And I will just share with you, that's why Boston? Why New York? If we were just to guess, if we were just to guess as educated people, why Boston? Why New York? Now, if he was an Irish fighter, we could just superpose that's got a massive audience, but we could play that game with everything. When you are talking about Boston, New York. Could be from anywhere in the world and you're going to have a massive population. Not to mention he's a British fighter. That's not the exact thing they did with Dan Hardy, by example. It's not what they did with Michael Bisping, by example. I understand Bisping finally ended up in New York. I, I, I know the whole story, but that's not what they did. Why did he say that? I'm assuming, I'm assuming... Not my job. I wasn't in the room. I would have asked him why. Guys don't ask him why. Why would you let him say something like that, that you've never heard before? You've never heard a promoter say, I'm going to take a guy to Boston or New York. I'm going to bring him to Vegas. I'm going to move him on pay-per-view, see how he does. You've never heard those words. And you all just lay out. Just like, oh, oh yeah, oh, the old, the old Boston, New York plan. Yeah, 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 I saw that one coming. But what do you, ask him the question. If I was to guess New York and Boston, not because of fight history, because that's Dana White's hometown. New York and Boston are massive shows. Dana does not come to Boston. Same thing if I'm running, th- when I come to West Lynn. The foot I'm going to put forward in my hometown, I understand it. So my guess is, because Boston, New York, what Dana's not talking about his geographic location, he's not talking about selling tickets. He's not talking about a demographic or the fact that an airplane goes straight from Heathrow. I believe what he's referring to is I got to put him on a big card. I got to get a big spotlight around him. I got to get a whole bunch of eyes. I got to get the right media, and I could do it in one of these two locations. Then I'm going to bring him to the Capitol. Now, that would still be interesting to me. Why Vegas? Why does he have to be tested out in Vegas? What is it about Vegas? Why wouldn't you just start him in Vegas? I don't know the answer. I would love to. So we can find the next guy to go borrow a bunch of money and go lose a whole bunch of it and hope that he gives us the answer. Or we could have just asked him then. Okay. So here we are, which is actually zero part of my point. My point is, who are you going to put him with? Because Paddy the Batty has done some massive things, guys. Now you've seen him two, three times on TV. You saw him once in a pandemic, but you saw him twice in England. Where the house was sold out, Patty was not the main event, but he was the loudest reception, and that matters. When you come through the curtain for a weigh-in, every producer and decision-maker there is paying attention to how loud that crowd is. When you come through the curtain and your music hits those speakers, believe me, they're all paying attention to who got the loudest pop, and whoever gets the loudest pop is supposed to be the main event. I mean, that's the way this entire entertainment is set up. We don't do it that way now. We put titles, and if there's two titles, it's whoever's heavier. We've got this whole system. However, even when that system was put in place, it supposed that whoever they put at the top of the bill, they made the main event, they put all the money behind, that they built up by the time Lights, Camera, Action, Hit is going to get the loudest pop. When you don't have that, and it goes to Patty, and he's three down, there's a massive message there. Sure. Now, As great as Patty has done, he's done it by himself. I do not want to disrespect his opponents. Not at all my message, to be condescending. But the opponents don't get many interviews. The opponents haven't always been known. The opponents didn't always have a back and forth. The opponents didn't start the fight that led to the bout agreement. They got a call, signed a bout agreement, then had to go to promote a fight. A lot of things are out of place here, but it worked anyway. So what would happen if Patty got the right opponent? As opposed to having somebody to fight, what if he had a partner? I don't know the answer to this. I know the risk with finding that out prior to the Jordan-Levitt fight. The risk with finding that out is that you don't like the answer. And your star, who's a young guy who just packed a house twice you don't have a lot of guys anywhere. You set that cage up anywhere you want. You don't have 10 guys on the roster that you can guarantee can pack a house. He did it, and he did it twice. And he did it in spots that weren't featured, but he got the loudest reception, and he did it without a partner. He did it with an opponent. It's a very different world. Now, if you're not positive he's as good as the skills and the hype, that's what you got to do. You got to try to plan it. You got to try to maneuver it. Hey, look over here, so you don't see what I'm doing over here. Everything was done perfectly right, but Patty showed something different. Those were those were real skills. There was nothing about Patty the Batty that you could disqualify him, intellectually speaking, for being a world champion. Absolutely not. That young man had potential. I didn't, guys. I didn't know it. I just didn't know it. I didn't know he was that squirmy. I didn't know he was that wiry. I didn't know he was that much of a competitor. I had no idea what he was dealing with leading into that fight that he was able to put all on hold. He's in the back where he's supposed to be warming up and fully focused. He can't even warm up or focus because he's watching and cheering for Molly. And he's still recomposed. This is Adesanya-level stuff. This is once every 10 years some nut comes along that can pull these things off. Then you got Mark Madsen. I bring Madsen to you because Madsen is the most decorated amateur within the division. 155 pounds being the most difficult weight class in the organization. Madsen's undefeated. By the way, he's the most decorated amateur. Olympic silver medalist, by example, in case you're wondering where I'm coming up with that stat. And Madsen was not a lover of Patty the Batty. He's sitting back, jealousy, envy like everybody else, saying, why can't I get these feature spots? Why can't I go in front of sold out arenas. Why can't I get these media opportunities? I take care of this guy. And look what I did. I was an Olympic hero. I, I'm with Madsen. I fully get it. And even Madsen had to come out after the fight and go, okay, you know what? The hype's real. I appreciated that. I appreciated that Mark Madsen said that because exactly how I felt. Okay. Okay. That, that dude's better than I thought it. But what do you do now? Do you put him in there with a Mark Madsen? Do you put him in the water bottle thing that Patty had? Do you put him in here with one of these guys? Do you all, go all the way to the other end of the tracks and just say, to hell with it, let's trash it. Where's Gamrot? To hell with it, let's test it. Call up Gaichi. I mean, how far do you go? And how do you know? It's a really hard question that unless you're willing to lose the money to get the expertise and the education to know, or you could have just asked Dana who teed the whole thing up. We don't know when he's going to fight again. We don't know if it's going to be a ranked opponent. We don't know if it's going to be pay-per-view. We don't know the venue. He started narrow it down. He passed it back to the audience, of which the media should have teed it back to him. I guess they wanted to look like they knew what was up. Oh, let me not, let me not ask questions so I can look as though I already know. Well, then tell me, media. Tell me, why Boston or New York? Why Boston are your and then Vegas? Why would you take him there prior to Vegas? What do you mean you're going to test him on pay-per-view when he just sold out the O2 not once but twice in unfeatured spot? Why didn't you ask the question? It's a simple question. Don't act like you know. We don't pay you to know. We don't think that you do know. Just ask the question. Get the information to the adults in the room. If you would have got that information, I would have broken it down for you. I wouldn't tell you exactly what it is. Sticking with the lightweight stars, we got a massive fight coming up in October, and the former lightweight champ himself is speaking out about it. Charles Oliveira appears to be very worked up about this uh, pending match with Islam. Why is that, guys? What's eating at Charles? And we could only guess. I don't think Islam has done anything. Those guys speak vastly different languages, so I I couldn't even guess that something happened behind scenes. Islam has been very clear to say that he wants to fight for the belt. Turns out Charles has the belt, so now Islam has steered his venom right towards Charles. But I only bring that to you because that's all very normal, what I just said. It's getting an abnormal reaction from Charles, and I'm wondering why. If I was to guess, Charles isn't as mad as Islam as the tone he's mad at you he's mad at you the audience cuz he's currently a 3 to 1 underdog i think that bothers him i think he's looking at himself he's looking at his skills he's looking at the matches he's having he's looking at what he's proven and he say how am i a 3 to 1 dog that's what i think i don't think that charles is as annoyed with islam as the interviews would seem i think he's annoyed with you now but i really do think that it's the only thing that's unusual about this. It's the only thing that's different. I want to read you something. This came out on bloodyelbow.com. Now, this is fiction. This is an exact quote, and Tim wrote this. I've been following Tim for a long time. Tim took the day off on this one. He said, and I quote, the promotion said they would stick by Dubronx. They've never said that. Just so you understand, the promotion has never colloquially referred to Charles Oliveira by his nickname. Just so you understand, I'm not looking to split hairs here. I'm just saying, that's not true. Citing commission failings for the mishap on the scales. That is not accurate. And that is a really big deal. So what Tim is saying, that's a quote, is that the promotion said they'll stand by Duprox, Citing commission failings for the scale and the Brazilian fight for the vacant lightweight title at the next given opportunity. None of those things happened. None. I don't know why he made it up. I I have a feeling he went off his memory. He knew something like that happened because there are pieces of that where if you do remember it wrong, you could come out and say something like this, but that's not what happened here. Tim put this in quotes and it is a big deal because if the, if the Arizona State Athletic Commission reads this and thinks that it's accurate, now they're going to go, Hey, I didn't see that. I missed it. But Tim says the UFC says that there was mishaps on the scale and it was our fault. That's not what happened at all. Not remotely close. But it's these kinds of things that I think are pissing off Oliver. Now, I'm not looking to give Tim a bump. That's the end of it. He said something was a quote that he... That is fiction. Let's leave it at that. Everybody gets busy. He got busy. He turned his article in. Why is Charles mad? Charles has gone as far as to say, I fought in a lot harder guys than Islam. Who? Is that true? Because the boys always know, right? The audience is the last one to know. Whoever does the rankings who has never named themselves and never will name themselves for very good reason, we know if you came in the locker room and you asked somebody and they spoke to you candidly, we could tell you the top 10 guys in every single division. we would have to work out with them. You put a room of alphas together, one hour later, we will know who's who in what order and we will have it right. So Oliveira is saying he's fought hotter guys than Islam. Who? I'm just asking the question. It would seem to me that Islam is his hardest opponent. There is always something that gets lost when a guy isn't as dynamic as another guy. But the greatest to have ever done it is Khabib, who was far from dynamic. It was the same thing over and over. Fought 29 men, 28 of them knew what the plan was because he did it to the first one. 28 of them knew. And over the spread of seven years they couldn't answer for it. So there's something there that isn't dynamic that a lot of times doesn't fear people. They'll think you're not as well-rounded. I just don't know that I'm in a position to come in and correct a mindset of Charles Oliveira. Charles has proven that his philosophies and his studying and his understanding of the sport are paramount. But that one surprises me. Who did he fight that he believes is better than Islam? He said, I fought lots of guys. So what that would mean is that he could identify lots of guys. I I don't know if he could identify one. He's saying he could identify lots of guys that if they fought Islam, they would beat Islam. That's what better means. And I feel as though a lot of guys get lost. When a guy wants to take you down and go to work from there, if you are not prepared to stop the takedown, you have problems. I can stop you right there. It doesn't matter who's got a what belt. It doesn't matter who went through Abu Dhabi or Submission Underground. It doesn't matter. Can you stop the takedown? Yes or no? Is Oliveira proclaiming that he can stop the takedown? Yes or no? It's just a very interesting spot we're in. Because Oliveira is the one that's won me over to this fight. One week before Oliveira fought Justin Gaethje, I did not want to see this fight. I was even thinking, we're going to have to see this fight. This is going to be 25 minutes of nothing. And as good as I knew Oliveira was, I didn't know he's as good as it turns out he actually is. But I'm still stuck at the same conundrum, which is, can he stop the takedown? If Charles is playing, and I've heard this said, not only by Charles, but by his defenders and by his own team, about how good he is on the ground and all the work that he can do on the ground, none of that is true. If Charles' back hits the ground, he's losing. From that moment until his back is no longer on the ground, he's losing. And you may like that or you may not. This isn't my opinion. This is the history of the sport. I don't care if you look like a black belt and he looks like a blue belt. If you're on your back from that moment on, you're getting beat. So I only have to ask you one simple question, which is not can he arm bar, can he triangle, can he threaten, can he stop the takedown? And I've yet to hear that, but he does have me very curious. Charles Oliver has me very curious. This is an amazing guy. He's a three-to-one underdog, but he was a four-to-one underdog when this thing started. It's actually getting closer towards Charles. And I think it's getting closer because I think that people that are coming in with the money right now are seeing what I'm seeing, which is this isn't as obvious as we think it is. But Charles hasn't given the specifics yet. Hopefully those will come. But Charles is irritated. And I don't think it's at Islam. I don't think that Islam has done anything. I think it's us. I think it's the community. I think that we're writing him off. At least I think that he feels that way. He feels that he is the champion. I was told, and I know the night that he fought Justin Gaethje because I heard Dana White say this, he will have participation in the pay-per-view. I've been told, I haven't heard it, but I've been told by other people that claim they hear it that he will in this one as well. He will be treated as though he's the champion. That's their business. I don't have a horse in this race, but if that's true, please bring this to our attention so that we can quit making a thing about champions. I mean, I would have the right to have that information. If there's no penalty for missing weight, none at all, we should know that. If we are going to follow the rules and the procedures and the policies, we should know that. In all fairness, we the audience should know that there's nothing on this. And if he is, in fact, the champion, it is a promotional policy. It was not a commission stance. It was the promotion's policy. The promotion can remake him champion. If they've done that, if they said, imagine you're a champion, well, then you are the champion. If they actually said that, I haven't heard him say that, but I'm hearing from other people that they've heard that the promotion said that. But then I got to read quotes from Tim that he made up from thin air. So it's a hard time knowing what's what. It's a hard time knowing who's real. It's a hard time knowing if we should be standing up for Charles and recognizing him if he beats Islam for not only getting a very tough opponent out of the way, but for being a two-time champion. If he's not because he's already the champion, we should know that. These aren't small things. These are, these are tremendous. There's policies. There's rules. There's a reason that you have a way in. There's a reason that you have remedies to situations if somebody defaults. What is Charles seeing? What is he seen within Islam? And I really do think we could back it up. Now, again, I want an attempt to put my philosophies and my mindset over that of Charles. He is a very different philosophy and a very different mindset, but he also is a very different thing the championship. So he's got the right to it. But I would be curious to know, when you're taken down, you feel that you have jujitsu and submissions that can, can offer this guy problems. You feel that you have an ability to stop him from passing guard, advancing position. Is that true? Yes or no? If the answer to that is yes, okay, great. The odds makers have it right. Whether it's three to one or four to one, it doesn't matter. It's still Islam. This is a very binary and very straightforward situation, Charles. And I understand it's between the two of them and we'll get him in there. There's a reason that we have the fight. But if we're going to bet on the fight and we're going to give an analysis for the fight, if Charles does not believe he can stop the takedown, he can't win the fight. Talk to him, he's blue in the face about how great his jiu-jitsu is. If he can't get up off the bottom and if he can't stop from going there in the first place, he loses. And if he does have a fundamental misunderstanding of that, I'd like to know. It would surprise me. He's a very sharp guy. He's a very successful guy. But there is no rhetoric out there that you can tell. If a guy's back hits the mat from that point forth, he's losing. He's losing. You got to get up or you got to stay up. I'm excited for this fight. I really am. I do think it's a closer fight than I thought it was prior to finding out as good as Charles was when she proved against Cage, but If Islam, and if you guys do agree, if Islam's the wrong guy, Islam's hyped, Islam shouldn't be in this spot. If you believe those things, and you believe Oliver has fought guys, many of them, to quote him, that are better than Islam, tell me who. And I won't disagree with you. I'm very open to it. Islam has not fought the number two, the number one, the number three guy. He hasn't fought some of these guys. But do you believe the number one, the number two, number three? Tell me who they are by name. Do you believe they could beat Islam? Because I don't think that you do. I think it's, it's a question of getting lost within the dynamics. Are there fighters out there that were more dynamic, that finished fight with punches? They finished it on the ground, they finished it from their back, they've, they've shown more, more of an understanding, a more complete and well-rounded fighter, which is worth nothing. But a lot of times it does win over perception. So if the statement is true and you believe it, and I don't disagree with you, I would just like to hear who from Charles' Pass do you believe right now could beat Islam? Now, one month before Islam and Charlie Olive's face-off, Hazmut Chemayev and Nathan Diaz are going to throw down in Las Vegas. Chemayev did an interview about the fight earlier this week and he made some interesting comments that I want to bring to you. Shamaya just did an interview, and Shamaya was talking about how he came across the fight with Nate Diaz, and he made the comment that he could have had a world title fight, or he could have the Nate Diaz fight, and he chose the Nate Diaz fight for fun. Do you believe him? Do you guys believe him? Is that what you would have done? Because on first glance, I think that he's working. I think he's having some fun, he's getting the media... He knew a guy or two in my position is going to pick that out of the crowd and want to discuss it. But the more you think about it, like, there is that possibility. See, this used to be very light. Everything changed. Dustin Poirier changed all of this. Dana White openly acknowledged this was when Conor McGregor was available for what went on to be their third contest. Dustin Poirier was openly recognized as the number one contender. And Dana said to him, you can fight for the title or you can fight Conor McGregor. If you fight Connor, it will not be for the title. And I remind you guys this because that's when the title was vacant. Ended up going down to Oliveira and Chandler. Just to remind you guys, there was no champion. Poirier was the rightful guy to be part of that. But they didn't think that Connor was. And we never had that, at least not done openly. Where Dana himself gave somebody the option. And Poirier did not choose the belt. He chose to have fun. Turns out it's fun to take fights that a lot of people want to see. Turns out it's fun to be in sold-out arenas. Turns out it's fun to make a whole bunch of money. And I bring that to you because that's the word that Chemayev used. Chemayev said it's going to be fun. Now, if you believed that, and I'm not saying it's not true. I don't know. I'm saying that I think he was probably working a little bit. Because if you believe that, you now have Chemayev, who appears to be An absolute hungry competitor. Give me more, give me different weight classes, keep me busy, you pick them, I don't care. This would show that he does care. This would show that that competitive juice isn't quite as strong as we thought. And that would surprise me. But there's other people that help to influence these decisions, such as his manager. So I know you guys have been playing along the whole time. What would I do if I was Chemiah? How would I answer that? I I know that's what you've been doing. I am too. But now let me change it. Let's both come up from the perspective of what if you're the manager? There's a whole jackpot full of money. It's right here, right now. The other side of the coin is you can go and fight for the belt, but... See, and here's what the problem is. Don't forget, Usman and Leon aren't up until August. So you're going to have to wait that out, and then you're going to have to wait ever how long that is. If there's an injury, great. Add that to the clock. You pass on Nate Diaz. You can't get that one back. Oh, should I mention, if Leon upsets Kamaru Usman, we're going to rematch the two of them. So if in the manager, you're in a really tight spot, you would like to get that guy to his dream, which is the championship, but also from the financial component, it's your job to look over that. You're going to want to get the belt around him just so now you get on the financial participation. Unless you're not sure how quick you could get him in there. I would always take a bird in the hand in this business. There's a rule in life and in MMA you'll see it all the time. If you chase two rabbits, you will catch none. If you have Nate Diaz, you have Madison Square Garden, you have a sold out audience and you're the main event, boom, take it. If that comes first and title fight is down the road, title fight might be next, but it's down the road, take this one that would have been my advice. But you can see what they'd have to weigh. You'd see where the balance does come in. Now, that's all what we would do if we were presented with it. Do you think that he was? Because Chamayev versus Diaz, I'm not positive why we're fighting. And if Chamayev isn't that same dirty, rotten competitor willing to do anything, anytime with anybody just to feel that moment of glory of getting his hand raised. If he, if he's not that guy or if he's changing away from that guy, then he's not the guy that we've been expecting. He's not the guy that we've seen. If he changes anything with his approach, one thing, he's now not the same guy. Maybe he's better, but maybe he's not. Which is why I'm not sure that I believe it. If you want to argue that Chimaev has won more fights lately than Nate Diaz, or you want to argue that Chimaev is younger than Nate Diaz, or Chimaev's career in the Octagon has a lot more matches left on it than Nate Diaz, you're not wrong. But if you think you can take your eye off Nate Diaz, if you think you can go and play with Nate Diaz, I and mean, that's what fun is, I never had fun in a fist fight in my life. And I've been in there with guys who were significantly less armed than I was. That wasn't fun. Been there with guys with equal arm and guys that were significantly ahead of me. But none of them were fun. I was not playing. It was not a game. It was very serious. And I have seen guys go into matches and think it's going to be fun. I've seen guys go into matches and think this is the one I'm going to show off. And we all have that, by the way. We all have an image of fighters that we've seen before, and we want to be that guy. Do you guys remember Randy versus Tito? I apologize. Chuck versus Tito. The most recent one, the disaster. There was a time in that fight where Tito started putting his hands down. He started rolling his shoulders. Okay. You've never seen Tito do that before in history. But what that is, is the little kid inside of Tito that saw somebody else do that and thought that guy looked cool. And we all have that in us. We all have a way that we wish we could fight, a way that we wish we could move. Setups that we wish we could land because we saw somebody else do it. When Tito realized Chuck wasn't there that night, that's when he started doing that. But I'll give you a more recent example, or at least another, a bigger example, would be the night that Bisping took the belt off of Luke Rockhold. Luke had just fought Bisping. We knew where Luke's hands need to be. We knew where Luke's feet needed to be. Luke went out there with, he was doing something else. Luke was doing what he imagined somewhere within his youth that a great fighter could and would do. He started doing He got knocked out for it. So if you change one thing, you are now changing what we can expect for sure. And there's nothing that Chemayev's done so far that I would classify as fun. Fighting in the middle of a pandemic on Fight Island... At 185 pounds, can't be fun making your debut in front of the world. He went out there, stormed through the guy. Comes back eight days later. That can't be fun. To fight again in eight days against a guy that you never planned for, you had no strategy for, you had not one day in the practice room. Oh, by the way, you got to weigh in 15 pounds less. And then you've got to go out and do that again on television. That can't be fun. Coming back to the States pandemic still going on. Now you're up a weight class back at 185 pounds. Now you got to stop this guy and you got to do it quickly because of the pressure and the reputation that you built. That can't be fun. I Man, I'm just bringing these things to your attention. I don't believe that Chemaev has ever done anything for fun. He sets out very serious day at the office. And if there's a part of anybody that thinks that anything but their best is going to get over on Nate Diaz, you're wrong. There's guys who can beat Nate Diaz. Chemaev might be that guy, but it's going to take everything firing on all cylinders and you're going to have to be ready for the entire 25 minutes. If you go beat up Nate for 24 minutes and you think you can sail in the next 60 seconds, you got the wrong guy. Nothing about fighting Nate is fun. You got to get that through your head right now. Now, was Chemayev pulling our leg? Was he looking for a good headline? Maybe. Or did Chemayev turn down a world title fight to instead be there at Madison Square Garden sold out standing with Nate Diaz? All right, guys, let's spend the rest of the show talking about UFC 277 and three of the biggest fights on the card, beginning with Uncle Live and Lionheart. Well, it's here. Lionheart versus Uncle Live, Guys, this is one of the ones we waited for. You know when you feel inside, I don't know what the actual date is, but you know when you feel inside, like, man, I've been waiting for this fight for a long time. What, did this fight get delayed? What did it get? Did they move dates a couple? It feels like Uncle Live and Anthony Smith have been supposed to settle their business for as long as I've been following this sport. That really is what it feels like. And I have checked the date on that fight. Now, Joe Rogan, John Attic, and Daniel Cormier, the three of them love this fight. So they have talked about it on broadcast. But they'll talk about it on a broadcast, and then I assume, okay, it's going to be on the next one. They're doing a little plug right here. No, it's not on the next one. Where the hell is this fight? Okay, great. It's almost here. But this is a mess. This is a freaking mess. And there's nothing that we like more in this sport than chaos. And I want to make sure that you are observing it. Because the only reason that this is a mess, and the only reason you're looking forward to it, and the only reason it keeps on being talked about to the point that it seems as though it's been scheduled and rescheduled, is because Anthony Smith will not allow a narrative within our media. Not on social media, not on the dot-coms, not anywhere. To say that this is not being considered for a number one contenders match. Glover accepted the fight with Yuri. Yuri accepted the fight with Glover, which is the greatest light heavyweight fight of all time. They didn't make it. Jan Blachowicz earned the opportunity, if you want to ask me. Rachik is getting better, Is going to be a big problem when he gets back. They didn't make any of these. They waited and they waited. And it's not because Dana wanted to market this. This isn't his main event. This isn't his co-main event. It's because Dana knew for the integrity of the sport, for the rankings and for the accomplishments, it's the right thing to do to let these guys have their say. Dana has not named this the number one contender's bat. That floated around. A while ago, that did float around. And maybe that was the plan. But that's without being armed with the information that, that Glover is going to get upset with 20 seconds left, right? I mean, it's not the number one contenders, but it's being considered they're going to get to have their say. Who's going to win and how are you going to win? It's very hard to return to a title shot when you didn't get it the first time. As you get older, you don't generally get better. But Anthony Smith is different and he's done it the hard way. Eight main events. Eight main events. And now he's going to go in with Uncle Lyev. And Anthony did not get this because he's got a problem with Uncle Lyev or their paths crossed or the rankings make sense. He got it because no one else will do it. you got to get credit for that. And I know you guys give credit for that. I, you you, you got to have the information, so I'm handing it to you now. Anthony was not the first one called. Uncle Lyev's a problem. Uncle Lyev scares guys is what I've seen. I don't see people engaging him. Uncle I will fight in control range as though he's John Jones and he's got 300-inch arms, right? He will. Guys will stay out. They won't get in there. They don't want to come in the meat grinder. They stay back. But at the same time, if you watch a body of Uncle i work, as dominant as he is, I haven't seen him lose a round. He dropped a match to Paul Craig. Don't think you have to correct me. I didn't see it. I haven't seen him lose a round. Guys, I also haven't seen guys fight him. That's true. There is something when they get in there. They've heard something through the grapevine. He's got a top 10 ranking. He's got a good record. He's on a streak. He's got the Dagestan and the Mystique going for it. There's something there that intimidates guys, and they don't fight him. They go out there. They do the match. They look for a place to fall or until that third horn goes off. That is significant. Because if you're an Uncle Ioffe fan, hey, you're in for it this weekend. Have a great time. You're going to see your guy that you believe in fight because Anthony's going to bring him one. Nobody that's ever followed Lionheart's career can say anything different than that. He's going to go fight him. People are going to get hurt. There's going to be punches. There are people that are going to fall down. That's what Anthony does. And I do really have to question. I don't challenge it. Uncle Li, there's something special there. I don't challenge it. I just question where is his lungs? What is his ability to deal with adversity? How is he going to do when his eye is shut and his nose is broken? Those are very fair questions. I have no reason to think he's going to fail it, but you have no reason to stop me from putting on the table that those things have never happened. When you have a guy like Anthony Smith who did eight main events, you got to listen to that, guys. Experience doesn't get you a lot in this sport. You don't get better with this sport as time goes on. You get worse as you do rounds. You leave a part of yourself out there. Well, not in every single category. Damn sure not in the conditioning category. Anthony Smith's not going to be worried for the first time. For the first time in years. He is not worried. 15 minutes? That's a very short amount of time than what he is used to. He is going to push that pace like you've never seen him push. I promise you that right now. He is going to get an Uncle live's face. There is going to be a fight. There is not a mixed martial arts exhibit here. Some guys are martial arts and some guys are cage fighters. And the boys out of Dagestan and the young man out of Nebraska fit the latter. I'm taking Anthony Smith. When you get in a fight that's harder than you thought it was going to be, nothing unwinds you faster. I don't think that Uncle Ive is overlooking Lionheart. Because those eight main events that Lionheart did, Uncle Ive was sitting there watching them all. Knowing his opportunity might come. I think he's very prepared. I am not have any kind of a message to dismiss him or his skills. But I'm telling you, however hard of a fight he's used to, he's never been in a fight like this. I really believe that. He has never experienced what he's going to experience Saturday. Can he pass the test? Sure, that's what this is about. That's between those two boys. But for me, talking to you, making my prediction, I'm taking Smith. My official prediction, Brandon Moreno, Kaikar, France, first off, thank you. I mean, honest to goodness, this is the unexpected treat of this division for a number of different reasons. This is the fight. I don't get real excited for 125-pound fights, and it's not because I dismiss them at all. Just the division's never done a great job. You had Demetrius Johnson could clean up everybody. He was like a thing out of a video game, but he was the world's nicest guy. Which means if you're coming in the challenger seat, you have to be the opposite or you can't get any of us to care. And people try to out-nice the nicest guy. They tried to pretend to be nicer than who was genuinely the nicest guy. It was just one of these things. It was really hard to get this division going. Figueredo's done a, a fantastic job with it, but one thing that I personally don't want to see is Figueredo versus Moreno. I've never been on board with that. Their first fight was a classic, and it was a treat. We weren't expecting that. You guys go back and check the ratings. That was garbage. That was rotten garbage. You do not have a sustainable business if the- you are bring in those kind of numbers. Guys, for the people that tuned in, it really was a treat. It was fantastic. And Dana White, he's done this before, but it's rare. Went to the press conference that night. No doctor's report, no commission suspensions, no talking to both guys. He made the fight. He made part two. We're doing that fight. I don't care what we have to do. I don't care who we have to wait. I don't. I, they're fighting to get right. It was one of those things, which is a huge compliment. So, you, you know, I want to see the second fight. I want to get in the Guys, I've lost track. I think we've done three. I think we've done three and we're, we're getting ready to do four. Stop. Stop. The first one was great, but it was also great because it was unexpected. Stop. Stop with that. They were a main event the first time they fought. They fought at least once since, and maybe twice. They have not been main event again. I mean, this is very relevant. Very relevant because when I come over here and I tell you guys that certain fights don't work and you love to push back, I'm not sharing Chael's opinion. When I have Chale's opinion, I would tell you, well, here's what I think. I'm sharing numbers with you. The first fight, which was awesome, did terrible ratings. That's a fact. Don't tell me how bad you want to see it because you didn't tune in that night. So stop right there. When we rematched it, it lost its placement on the card. We rematched it again. It lost its placement on the card. It was supposed to rematch this week. It still lost its placement on the card. In all fairness, stop, please. So now we got Kai Kaur. This guy's a problem. And I'm stuck at how good is Brandon Moreno. He's impressive, he's motivated, he works hard. His attitude is something to aspire to be, to aspire to love your job when it's this difficult, to aspire to love your fans and house, I mean, really. He's very unique, how good is he? If you ask me what's special about Moreno, what has he done in his career that's special? I can answer that question as long as you only ask me at once. And I would talk about those fights with Figueroa. They were amazing. And Figueroa's a stud. Figueroa has passed the test. Figueroa beat twice Joseph Benavides, which is more than Henry Cejudo can say. Stud. And Moreno went with. Him. I got. I have nothing else. Did he? Did he go with Moreno? Because it was just one of those matchups. Have you guys ever been there? Any sport that you played, have you ever been there where you know where you're at and it's not wonderful and you know who you're taking on is super good and then you go do the game? You go, God damn, I only lost by three points. I mean, right, has that ever happened to you? But then you could go against somebody that they went with and, and you could get wiped out and you get put back in, in your space as the dog crap on the bottom of the world shoe. I mean, right, it's one of those things, but you, you've been on both sides of that. Or you're the big stud at something you do. Somebody else comes in. Who isn't very talented? And you know what? You go, God, that was a, that was a really hard match. Sometimes it's just a matchup. So when I tell you I don't know how good Moreno is, if I go watch his fights with Figueredo, man, this guy, amazing. Go fit him for the jacket for the Hall of Fame. He's going in it someday. I understand that, but I don't have other bodies of work. And it is relevant. Guys, we don't know. You don't know the answer. Sometimes there's just a For whatever reason, I mean, Moreno landed more body shots on Figueiredo than he's ever landed in his career combined. Are you guys aware of that? There's a stat right there that I trust that you've never found before. Because the good folks over here at Bad Guy ain't got that stat. It hasn't been said before. Well, why was Moreno hitting Figueiredo in the body so much? How was he able to learn, land more body shots on Figueiredo than he landed in his entire career accumulatively? I'm only asking the question. I'm not answering it, but there could be something about Figueiredo's body type. There could be something about the positioning. There could be something about his movements that just worked really well for Brandon. It could be. That's the outside chance here. But I do want to talk to you guys about it. Because if I'm going and juxtaposing him against Kaikar, which is exactly what we're doing, that's why they call it a contest, that some bitch can fight. KaiCar France can flat fight. End of story. Not he looked good against this guy. Not there was a great performance over here. Not they put a belt up and he was able to find success. Spread it around. This guy is crushing people. This was one of the great decisions. This was one of the great summer decisions by the UFC to interim this belt. Now, it hurt Figueiredo's feelings. That doesn't bring me a joy. I just don't think it should hurt his feelings. Figueiredo is your champion. He's still your champion. They're going to go have an interim bout. Figueredo will still be the champion. No one's taken away from Figueredo, but boy, are we building that division. And it's a really interesting question. Who is better? Who can beat who with Kaikar and Moreno? Moreno's got the better ranking. Moreno's got the better momentum. Moreno's had the bigger fights. But I really do want to bring this front and say: You can't get this anywhere, guys. Nobody is telling you this anywhere. And if you're staying with me, you're starting to question it. Because I make a really interesting point when I tell you he looks awesome against Figueiredo. Is it a matchup issue? Do you believe that Moreno, people love to say MMA math doesn't work. MMA math works every damn day. Every damn day it works. Do you believe that Moreno could stop Cody Garbrandt? Do you believe that he could stop him in the first round? just a question and just throwing it at you but it's it's very fair game it's very good food for thought Kaicar France wasn't having a difficult time at the time that he got that stoppage history of the sport says you beat a world champion you got to fight for a world championship Moreno is a more technical boxer Kaikar France uses the reach better and he's got better power on the two. Moreno is an experienced guy. He's not a veteran. He's a young man, but he's not as young as Kaikar France. There is something to be said in all of sport for momentum. Nobody has momentum like city kickboxing. Wherever you live, guys, wherever in the hell you live, do you got a world champion in your neighborhood? Most of you just said no. No, hell no, I don't have a world champion in my neighborhood. Okay, fair enough. I've got one, Destiny Rodriguez. It's a very rare thing. Where Kaikar goes every single day of his life, he has three. It's not a big deal. It's expected. He is expected to win this. I fought for six world championships. When I got the plane, I had a whole team waiting there, patting me on the back. They were proud of me. Proud of me to have this opportunity. It's very different. A lot of pressure, and I was honored to go and try to do it for my hometown. I can't imagine being at a gym that's so successful that you're expected. This is not an opportunity. This is not looking at a great job we did as managers. This is not look at us, we got you. We expect you to win fights, get to a championship, and then bring the belt home. It's a very different scenario. And I didn't give you an X's and O's. I didn't talk about the jab and slipping outside and the kicks. I didn't get into the conditioning and the intangibles and the strengths. I didn't get into the height and the reach. But it's not always about that. You can break that down and have the strategies all day. When it's all said and done and they tear that cage down Saturday night, one guy was a better fighter than the other guy. I submit for you, in this case, the better fighter is Kai Carr France. Official prediction, Amanda Nunes versus Juliana Pena, part two. I'm going with Jules. I'm going with Juliana. And you know what, guys? I think it's going to be a lot like the same fight. I am not convinced by what I hear from Amanda. Don't forget, guys, that's all we get. I mean, before you think words don't matter, words are all that I have to give you a prediction. I've already seen them fight. I saw them do the exact same thing in the exact same ring, under the exact same rules at the same weight class. But that's not what we're here to talk about, right? That was an anomaly. That was a weird night. Things were different. So all I have to go off of is, is their words. I haven't seen them train. I haven't seen them together. I haven't gotten footage out of camp. And I'm not convinced that Amanda has addressed what went wrong in the first fight. Anytime you have a rematch, that's just the question you have to answer. What's going to be different in this fight? Now, Amanda has left her team. We've seen that work. We saw Kamar Uzman get better. We've seen it work. But if you were to look at the body of the sport and the evidence that we have, and I'm going to bring boxing into it as well, they got a lot longer tradition. When a guy leaves a camp, it's not good. Good things do not happen. Now, to leave a camp, to go from Roger Mayweather to Freddie Roach, by example, is one thing. There's another set of data that we can look at, which is when a fighter leaves a gym where they are the B-side, They are the pupil. They walk in no matter how successful they are and they are told what to do. And they leave and open their own gym where now they are the boss. They sign the front of the paychecks. They don't walk through the door. They unlock the door. That's a whole different data pool to go and see how those athletes did in their next performance and for the duration of your career. And guys, it's not good. It is not good. I am mean, i only offer you that, particularly if I'm juxtaposing it against Kamar Usman, who went out to one of the great minds and one of the great bodies and one of the great rooms with great training partners. It's very different. Colby Covington, who went to a very successful gym, found himself a little bit more attention, still in the same area, still gets to sleep in the same bed, didn't pack up, didn't move. It's, it's one of these things. And there is an experiment taking place here. Amanda came out two days ago. And she talked about the fact that she was not in the best shape for her first fight with Julie Poe, even went as far as to say she considered pulling out. Her wife told her, Nina said, hey, make one phone call and get you out of this. And Amanda went through with it anyway, but she said that her knee was bugging her. She didn't say it affected her the fight. She said it affected her preparation for the fight because she couldn't run. She likes to run. That's a big piece of her camp. Now, I'm only bringing that to you because if Amanda believes she lost that fight because she didn't get road work in prior to it. It's going to be very hard to correct the actual problem, which had nothing to do with that. For Amanda Nunes to make 135 pounds, she has to be in shape. There's just a lot of work she has to do. There's a full output to burn those calories. Now, say she wasn't ideal shape. She's the one saying that. We, Of course, we would trust her, right? If you're the champion of the world, you're a five-round fighter, You have not fought in anything, not even been booked in four and a half years that wasn't 25-minute contest. If you show up in pretty bad shape by your own standard, you still go seven minutes easy. I'm just trying to really prove the point that what happened to him, and it's okay. It happens every Saturday. It will happen to somebody this Saturday. It happens every Saturday. Never a miss, ever. Somebody finds themselves in a situation that is more difficult than they thought it was going to be. And they tire in the fatigue from a sports psychology standpoint. My whole career changed when I met a sports psychologist named Ed Versteg. My whole career. I learned a lot of things from this man. But what this is called when you're in those situations, it's called taking inventory. And the inventory and the math would look something like this for Amanda. I've hit her as hard as I can hit, and it didn't put her down. Hitting with my right hand is my single greatest weapon. I don't have anything more I can throw at her. She's still coming forward, which I was not expecting. We're seven minutes in. I'm up one round. I need two more. I'm getting tired, and she's coming at me. And you just start working out these equations. If I'm huffing and puffing with a heart rate seven minutes in of this and my best shots aren't working, my God, 15 minutes in, this is going to be terrible. Oh, and then I'm going to have another 10 on top of that. I got to get out. Now, that entire equation, by the way, that entire dialogue can be done in less than one second, in less than one second. Fighters have told you guys from the beginning of time, they never elaborated on what it meant, but you've certainly heard fighters say, my greatest battle is myself. I don't have to fight this opponent. I have to fight myself. But you don't know what that means. That's what it means. Fight or flight is a human reaction that you're born with. Everybody, you have no choice. When the going gets tough, do you run or do you go to it? You have no choice. So fighters that choose to go fight, they still, they still are armed and equipped with flight. So you're having this constant battle. I could personalize that, tell you matches that I want. It was just a relief. I wasn't excited to win. I wasn't excited for that money, and I damn sure needed it. It was a relief that I didn't double-cross myself, that I didn't take two months of training camp, two times a day, part of Clayton Hire's life and throw it up in the air. It's just one of those things, but other fighters deal with it too, and I bring it to you because if Amanda hasn't assessed that the same way that Conor McGregor successfully did after he lost to Nathan Diaz the first time, Conor lost to him, said I wasn't efficient with my energy, which means I got tired and I quit. Fine. If you know what happened now, we can fix it, and Conor did, and I'm not convinced by anything that Amanda said that she fully understands that. I think that Amanda's a better fighter, I think if you had to go fight Amanda for three minutes or you had to go fight Juliana for three minutes, they're both going to come beat you up. Amanda will send you to the ER where Juliana will make you have an ice pack on your head. I really think that. I think Amanda is just flat. Better. I don't think she's a better competitor. Amanda is very sweet. As a, as a human being, if you ever got to meet her, people will tell you that about Chris Cyborg. Right? Don't judge these books by the cover. These are very wonderful. For her. She's a very wonderful person. She was put in a position of being a bully. Not, and the only reason I qualified it with, with telling you what a nice person she is is I'm not calling her a bully. That's a terrible, we don't like bullies, right? She is not a bully. She's a competitor, but she got put in the position of a bully. If you're put in that position, you take on the traits. And one thing that a bully can't deal with is somebody punching back. Every bully you've ever seen, when you punch back, they change. And when has started running through people and having them fall down and all the headlines and hell up on the shoulders and a belt over and a great big check coming in and Dana White giving hugs in the back. It's one of these things where you take on those same traits and when somebody punches back, it's problematic. Now, if you know that, which she now does, that can be fixed. Connor did, just as an example. That for sure could be fixed. I'm not convinced by anything that I've seen or heard that she does know it in my official prediction and still. Alright guys, that's it. I've had it with you all. Thank you for listening. And remember to be back on Sunday for a special UFC 277 reaction show. That will drop in the afternoon. Enjoy the fight Saturday. Make sure you come back on Sunday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen and you are welcome.